Exodus 13, entitled the message, Led by the Lord. Led by the Lord. Let's just unite our heart. We word of prayer as we come to the preaching. Father in heaven, again we thank thee for thy presence. Thank you, Lord, for the great truth. The Comforter has come. And, O oh God, we rejoice that the Holy Spirit abides within the heart of the child of God, bearing witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. We pray, Lord, for the Spirit of God to descend upon us and, Lord, to give us help as we come to this passage. Give us understanding. O oh God, I pray that I would apply the word as it is needed to each and every heart. I pray to that end I would fill us afresh with thy spirit that we might preach as thus and thus saith the Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The nation of Israel, they're about to embark on an unknown path. They had not traveled this way heretofore. The desert is before them. They have no compass. They have no chart to show them the way in which to go. No friendly lips to guide or to counsel them. They must go forward. But no doubt, there's a fear in doing so. And maybe, you know, that's the same. But maybe a young believer. You may feel like that at times. You've been delivered from the chains of sin. You've been delivered from the uh, chains that the devil bound you with. But it seems that that heavenly Canaan is far off. There's the wilderness of the world to reverse. And the cry of many a heart might be, maybe even an adult as well, will that safe haven ever be reached? Well, you know, men and women, I believe the answer is found in the narrative about Israel and as they start this journey. But before we walk with them, there is a little point of interest that I think we should touch upon first of all. You'll find it at the end of chapter 12 and verse 38. It says there, And a mixed multitude went up also with them. And a mixed multitude went up also with them. Now, throughout the scriptures, it is true to say we have the devil depicted in various forms. He can come like a roaring lion, and he often does. But he can also come as a cunning serpent. And it is in that latter picture that is in view here. For having failed to keep Israel under suppression and oppression in Egypt, the next best thing is to send some Egyptians and other nations along with them as they move out. And the reasons why they went or the motives behind it may be varied. There may have been intermarriage. There may have been those who, of course, didn't like what was happening in Egypt, and so they said, well, better get out of here, and we'll go with this crowd. There may have been others, and they saw the goodness and the fear of the Lord showed toward the Hebrew people, and so they sought to throw in their lot with them and to get a part of it. The bottom line is this, men and women, that they weren't part of the family of Israel. They were a mixed multitude. And we are soon to learn that it was that mixed multitude that were to be a thorn in the sight of Israel. Because Numbers chapter 11 verse 4 tells us that the mixed multitude were the first to complain about the manna. And they were the influence behind Israel murmuring. 
And the same truth is found. Do you remember when Joshua was met by the Gibeonites and they disguised themselves and the bread was steel that had come from a great distance and yet they were the enemy. They were a heathen tribe in Canaan. The same is true in Nehemiah's day. There was a mixed multitude who also returned with the Jewish remnant from their captivity and joined themselves to them. It's the same that we read in the New Testament of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and they go out to John the Baptist and John the Baptist, he's able to discern who they were and he calls them a generation of vapors. And here's the thing. The Lord has given us a note about these that we might learn. It's for our learning. Lest we should also be smitten with weakness and much failure. It is because of that that God by His Spirit exhorts us, Wherefore come ye out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Is that a wee word to our hearts already this morning? What way were they to go? Verse 17, chapter 13 came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the Lord repent when they see what people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt. The way in which God led them, he does so with tender mercies. He does so with a fatherly concern. He doesn't bring them the shortest route. But rather he brings them by the way of the wilderness. You see, dear people, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delighteth in his way. And as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Therefore, I want us to look this morning at how they were led by the Lord. One notice firstly the places here. On any journey that you make, there'll be the places that you navigate through, maybe the stopover points. And there's no different for Israel as they set out from that land of promise. At this early stage, there are particular names that are mentioned and, and, and there's a significance with each of them. The, stage, the starting place, of course, is called Ramesses. You turn back again to chapter 12, verse 37. I keep referring back here because it's all one piece. Verse 37, And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth. That's the first place, Ramesses. That was where they were congregated in order to move out with haste. It was where they began after Pharaoh had ordered them to leave Egypt. And of course that is verified if you go right back to Genesis chapter 47. Genesis 47 verse 11. And here's where Jacob and the family come down into the land. And Joseph placed his father and his brethren and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt. In the best of the land. In the land of Ramesses. As Pharaoh had commanded. That's where they were first placed. But the name of this city itself is associated with many of the Pharaohs. And some of them ruled by the time or over the time in which Israel were there in their slavery. This place held no pleasant memory for the children of Israel. Because if you consult Exodus chapter 1 and verse 11, I'll read it to you. You'll realize it's one of the cities that they built. It says, therefore they did set them over them, taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramesses. 
One of the cities they built as slaves. Their taskmasters put them to work. They afflicted them with their burdens. Ramesses was built as a result as their hard labors uh, as slaves. And so it held no special emotion for the nation. And this exodus now that they were embarking upon would remove Israel from that place of bitter memory, from that place of servitude. And you know, men and women, you lift all up into the spiritual. Is it not a picture of what God does for us in salvation for the soul that is under many a burden? Sin brings nothing but pain and affliction and hurt and bitterness, but salvation brings deliverance. Deliverance from the bondage of sin Liberation from its bitterness. There's another place mentioned. They left Ramesses, and I've read it in chapter 12, verse 37. They came to Succoth. You'll read it also in verse 20 of chapter 13. And they took their journey from Succoth. It's about 15 to 20 miles southeast of where they began. It's the first stopping place for the great exodus of God's people. It most likely would have been completed within the course of one day. The significance is in the name. For Sukkoth means booze or tents. The tents were first pitched after leaving Ramesses. And that surely speaks to us not only of the character of the journey of the Israelites, but surely it speaks to us of the character of the journey that each one of us are on. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. We are as pilgrims in a strange land. It was that great lesson that one of the first pilgrims was to understand. I refer you to Abraham. Because we read in the great chapter of faith, Hebrews 11 and verse 9, it says, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. He's a sojourner. A sojourner, by very definition, means one who's passing through. They don't stop. And... Abraham was a sojourner. He didn't abide. He moved his tent from place to place. He was passing through. He dwelt in the tabernacles or the tents. He was looking for that city whose foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Booze are all that we have down here. Now, if you go out into the countryside of as I do, you wouldn't think to look at it. There's some brave palaces out there. I can nearly stop and think of it as a hotel the house. Booze, men and women, are all that we have. Whether our life be long or short, that's all we have. And you know, Paul could speak of it to the believers in the church at Philippi. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. And he simply says this, for our conversation. Now I have to stop there. Conversation is a word today that means that I talk to Betty or I talk to somebody else there face to face. In the New Testament, conversation takes on a wider meaning. It means behavior, for example. Conduct. But here's a verse where it even goes further. It means citizenship. And Paul is writing to the believers in Philippi. He says, 
You could read it like that. For our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we're citizens of. Just the way that, that, that we are citizens of GB, of, of Great Britain. For our citizenship is in heaven, he says, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The day is hastening on when these tents which are temporary shall be exchanged for the eternal mansions of the Father's house. The earthly house of these tabernacles shall one day be dissolved. They shall collapse and be no more. Some of you maybe go on the holidays in the tents. All the time I would take a wee cycle around the forest there and come by the place where the tents are erected. You know, the time comes when the pegs have to come out, the stays have to be loosened, and the tent collapses. And that's just like your body and mine. Second Corinthians 5 and 1 describes us like that. And one day they have to be dissolved, they have to come down. But for the people of God, of God's redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we have a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. Let me ask before I go any further, have you got a mansion in the sky today? Are you sure of it? That's Sukkoth, the tents, or the booze. The third place as mentioned in verse 20 as well, they took their journey from Succoth and encamped Etham in the edge of the wilderness. Remember, it's God who's taken them this way. Left to themselves in the flesh, they would have taken the shortest route. But that was the way of the Philistines. And that inevitably would have brought them into war, into battles. And while they would engage in warfare further along the journey, God knew them. And God knew, look at verse 17, that they weren't prepared for this. It says, came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt. The Lord knew them, as he knows each one of us. He knew that they would give up easily. And so he doesn't take them by the shortest route. He doesn't take them by the way of Philistines, which meant battles and wars. He, he, he never gives his people a trial or a burden that they cannot carry. God gives us time to prepare for our battles. And so it was to Etham that Israel were to journey to. There's nothing but barrenness before them. A wild, howling desert. But it was no mistake. Remember what Moses told Pharaoh? They wanted to leave to go three days' journey into the wilderness in order to sacrifice. Sacrifice equates to worship. And this was a suitable place to do that. It was beyond the gaze of the Egyptian. The Egyptian wouldn't take kindly to animals being slain because they counted them nearly as sacrosanct. And so there's a three-day journey to be made. And they're now there. They're now in the wilderness. They're now in the desert. It was the place of God's choosing. Men and women, listen to me. It's always best to worship the Lord where he would have us to. Even though it may not be popular with the world. Even though it may not appeal to the flesh. I have to say that today. Many another place in this land and it appeals to the flesh and it's under the name of worship. 
The best place is where God would have you to be. Because you know there, the Lord's there. And there you'll find a Moses. And there you'll find a John the Baptist because he ministered in the wilderness of Judea. Another reason why they would go to Etham is because God had told Moses right back at the burning bush that Israel were to serve him upon this mount. That mount was Mount Horeb. But the only way to get there was via the wilderness. And sometimes God tests our obedience by making it necessary to go through a desert, to go through a wilderness experience first before we're given a place to serve him in. It would be during this time that they would learn much. And you know, so it is with our pilgrim journey through this life. It takes a lifetime of sanctification to be conformed unto the image of Christ. The places. What about the provisions? Because before taking any journey, there usually would be the plans and the preparations and provisions made. Well, with Israel in haste, there was very little of that. They didn't need to because the Lord had chosen the destination. The Lord had chosen the way in which they would take. The Lord had chosen the place and the time of their departure. The provisions of God meant for Israel, they would never miss a meal. They never would have to buy clothes. They never have to buy shoes for 40 years. And without a map, they successfully would move from place to place. The provisions that they had meant that that was possible. What were they? Look at this. They had leadership. Look at verse 21. And simply says, and the Lord went before them. The Lord went before them. The psalmist could say he led them forth by the right way. The manner in which he led them is also to be noted. He certainly had his man in the person of Moses, called, of course, from that burning bush experience. He was their earthly physical leader. Yet overall, the Lord was their sovereign leader. And in their pursuit through the desert, the people followed the pillar of the cloud and the pillar of fire. Verse 21, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. It's worth considering that the one who led them through the wilderness and the one who brought them through the Red Sea, the depths of it to their deliverance, is still the same God that leads his people today. Still the same. Yes, we no longer have the visible manifestations of a cloudy pillar, but as one divine Charles Simeon said this, what more than counterbalances that loss, the internal and spiritual communications of his grace. There is within the child of God the promptings, the guidings, or the guidance, if you like, of the Holy Spirit. And without, of course, there's also the divine providences that we can trust in. And I want us to look further at that in a moment time, in a moment. But they had the leadership. They also had a provision of light. As a nation made their way through the desert, one of the greatest assets that they had was that they had light. 
They had light in their houses in Egypt when, of course, the Egyptians were in darkness. And now as they journeyed through the desert and through the wilderness, they had light in that barren place. Verse 21, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them that way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. To go by day and night. By day, there was the cloudy pillar. That's called the pillar of cloud. As it's understood by most, that its upper, upper portion, it rose toward the, the heavens like a funnel or in the form of a column. While the lower part was cloud-like. And it spread over the camp. By night, it became a pillar of fire. That meant that they could travel by day and by night. I want you to listen to what Moses said, uh, standing on the very edge of crossing over into the land of Canaan. He rehearses over what the Lord had done for them in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 33 says this, Who went in the way before you to search you out a place to pitch your tents in, in fire by night, to show you by what way you should go, and in a cloud by day. He reminds them what the Lord was to them and how he guided them. And even further on down their history, Nehemiah, I have to confess, Nehemiah is one of the favorite, my favorite books of the Bible, favorite character. Nehemiah makes reference to this in chapter 9 and verse 19. Yet thou and thy manifold mercies forsookest them not in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud departed not from them by day to lead them in the way, neither the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way wherein they should go. And a woman, we can also say that we are blessed with light in this dark world of sin. The Savior said, I am the light of the world. We read in 1 Timothy, it tells us the Lord has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. In salvation, we're no longer in darkness as we once were, but we're light in the Lord. We do not need to grope around like a blind man with our theories, but instead we're exhorted to walk as children of light as he is in the light and we fellowship one with another. They had leadership and they had also the provision of light. And there's another provision that is worthy of attention. They had loyalty. The pillar was not a one-off. The Lord was there continually with them. Verse 22, He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night. The Lord was leading them through the wilderness, and He would lead them until they reached that promised land. He proved Himself to be faithful to them for those 40 years. His presence was loyal, and that loyalty meant that they were continually protected from their enemy. As the Egyptians pursued them through the Red Sea. You, for example, go into chapter 14 here, verse 20. You'll notice the pillar of cloud came between the opposing camps. It says, and it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. It was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. And is the application not clear to the people of God? For as we make our journey through this wilderness of the world, we are assured of God's presence with us. We're assured of his protection. 
We don't have a visible cloudy pillar, but what we do have is the promise of his guidance and the promise of his guardianship. He has said to his people, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We read in, in Romans chapter 8, If God be for us, then who can be against us? Dear loved one, God is carrying out his purposes as he did with Israel. He's carrying out his purposes today. What special blessing then to experience his grace and to sojourn with him as he leads us to that heavenly shore. Oh, to have the testimony that Enoch had, that he walked with God. Try and get that into your mind. Enoch walked with God. And you know what it says, one day he was not. Why? Because God just walked him right on into glory. What a close walk that was. What a blessing to traverse through this pilgrimage that we're on, knowing the Lord's presence with us, knowing that he guards and watches over us. I want just to leave a final thought. I said I would backtrack a little. And that is, I want you to note the pillar. The pillar of cloud. I don't know, maybe boys and girls think this is, maybe adults as well. There's two things in mind here, it's not. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire is one. It was a cloudy pillar by day, it was a fiery pillar by night, but it's one. Like as in other aspects in the Scriptures, I believe it has a deeper meaning. It speaks to us of God the Holy Spirit. We have seen the Trinity in our studies already. We have seen God calling and leading the children of Israel. We have seen in the Passover night... That typology of Christ himself, the lamb that was slain, the blood that was shed, and now here's the Holy Spirit. The purpose of the pillar was given to Israel to lead them. We've already read verse 21. This was God's unique manner to guide the nation. Went before them to guide them along the way in which they should go. Israel only needed to be concerned where that pillar was Moment by moment, in the present time, that pillar would lead them step by step. If the pillar of cloud stopped, they stopped. And you know, so it is with a believer. The Lord doesn't show us what's going to happen two or three months down the road. That's for our benefit. We are to walk by faith. We are to walk step by step. The Lord hasn't left us to ourselves. The Lord hasn't saved you and said, well, on you go. Make the best of it. But you see, as we've been singing today, he's given another comforter. A comforter has come. He's given us the Holy Spirit. What did the Lord say to the disciples about the Holy Spirit and how you would be given? John chapter 16. I want you just to see this. Verse 13. He says, and here is the upper room discourse, one of the longest discourses that you'll find in the Gospels, just before the Lord goes to the cross. He says, how be it when he... Now remember, he's speaking to God's people. Judas is gone here. He's not here. Judas has gone out to do his 
work of the devil in betraying the Lord. So there's just 11 of the disciples left, God's people. He says, how be it when he, he, underline that, the person, not a feeling, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And the manner in which the Lord by his spirit shows and leads is by the word of God. The psalmist brings that thought out when he pens the words, Psalm 99, verse 7. He spake unto them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies under the ordinance that he gave them. God spake to them through the cloudy pillar. And God speaks through his word to his people today. The Holy Spirit does not lead his people to contradict the scriptures. There many will hear them today and say, oh, the Spirit led me to do such and such. Not a, not a bit of it. Because it's contrary to the Word of God. And you can test the spirits, whether they are of God or not, by bringing everything before the Word. The Spirit of God does not contradict the Word because He is the divine author of the Scriptures. Do you know what it is to be led by the Spirit? You see, that's what we have, that's what we're taught in Romans chapter 8 and the words of verse 14. For it simply says there, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. I ask that question, are you led by the Spirit? Because it's proof that you're one of God's children. It's proof that you're saved. For understand that there was a distinction with the pillar depending on whether you were an Israelite or whether you were an Egyptian. Exodus chapter 14, look at verse 24. came to pass that in the morning watch the Lord looked out upon the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. It was a blessing, it was a protection to Israel, but it troubled the Egyptians. It was light to Israel, but it was darkness to Egypt. And you know, so there is a distinction today between the believer and the world where the Holy Spirit is concerned. He is given only to the people of God, as we have read in John. I read what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, I say to you again, the Spirit of God is only given to God's people. The world doesn't understand them. Because it says there in that verse, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Natural man doesn't have the Spirit of God within the world doesn't understand how the Spirit works. And so the Spirit there, you can see the purpose of the pillar was that they might lead Israel. And there was the permanence of the pillar. Just think how the pillar was not given to Israel until they had been delivered from Egypt. 
And you know, that's the order that's found in the New Testament as well in the lives of repentant sinners. First, there's the partaking of Christ by faith. And then at the point of conversion, there's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. We're sealed unto the day of redemption. The cloudy pillar was God's gift to Israel. No one asked for it. It was given to them as a token of his mercy. And so was the Holy Spirit as Christ spoke of at the end of his earthly ministry before he went to the cross. I'll give you another comforter. He was given to guide and to give them light. The cloudy pillar was given to cover them from the scorching sun of the desert. I'll just give you a little verse in Psalm again. Psalm 105, verse 39. And he makes reference to this. It says this, He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light in the night. You might think that's pretty insignificant. Wouldn't be if you're walking through a desert. How it must have been a welcome sight to those that labored long under the blazing sun in the fields of Egypt to now have this cloudy pillar over them protecting them. What proof of the almighty power of God. He can give a cloud where there's no water to form any. No water in the desert. Yet the Lord gave them a cloudy pillar. Psalm 121, verse 5. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The cloudy pillar was all that they needed to guide them, to protect them, to give them light. To be that which, from which they would hear God speak to them. And here's the thing. It wasn't taken from them. You see, verse 22 of our passage, He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. It didn't depart from them. Israel always had the pillar with them until their journey to the promised land was complete. That is, despite their murmurings, despite their feelings, despite their unbelief and their rebellion. And you know, child of God, so it is with the Holy Spirit of God. John chapter 14 and verse 16 is another verse and I want to leave this with you and with this we're closing. I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive not for the ungodly only for the people of God because it seeth him not neither knoweth him but ye know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you and he's given forever God will not take away the Holy Spirit from his church that's erroneous teaching that abounds in some quarters in our land today that somehow, someday, the Holy Spirit will be taken away. That's heresy. Because if God was to remove His Holy Spirit, then He would cease being God because God is omnipresent. The Holy Spirit is the same characteristics as God the Father and God the Son. One of them is omnipresent. Everywhere at the same time. He's been given to the child of God. He's been given to the church forever. 
There's so much more we could bring out. How it rested upon the tabernacle. Tabernacle, every piece of the tabernacle speaks of Christ. And upon Christ the Spirit was poured out without measure. But suffice to say this, we'll close it, that it typified God among his people. And would you reach that heavenly Canaan? Remember where I started? Maybe there's those doubts that come into mind of the young child of God. Will I ever get there? Will you reach it? And cling to this ever-living guide. The pillar never failed. Neither will the grace of God toward his people. He loves us. He guides until the end. The, the pillar leaves not until the full blaze of heaven breaks forth. The Holy Spirit will guide you just the way in which he guided the wise men from the east with that star of Bethlehem. Where did he bring them? He brought them right to where Christ was. He brought them to where Jesus was. That wasn't in the manger. It was in the house. But that star guided those wise men to where the Lord is. And so, dear people, does the Spirit of God. He will guide you to Christ always. Dear loved one, can I ask this in closing? Who are you following? There are many others and they're leading people to hell. There are many downward paths of plenty. Make sure the Lord is leading you. Make sure the Lord has gone before. Make sure that Christ is your leader. Because he leads you by his Spirit home to heaven's glory land. Led by God.